Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. This week on the show, I'm running Tyler Jones and KC Smith through our What Would You Do gauntlet giving us insight into exactly how they handle some of the most challenging deer hunting scenarios I could throw at them. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. If you're not aware, First Light's got a pretty cool program called Camo for Conservation in which they donate a portion of proceeds from the sale of every single one of their Spectre Whitetail Camo product back to the National Deer Association to help that great organization continue the work they're doing to fight for deer and deer hunters, both on private land, public land, whatever kind of deer hunter you are, the NDA is working for you, and First Light is helping them do that. So uh, I'm a fan of that. That said, today we are continuing our What Would You Do Gauntlet series in which we're running our guests through a bunch of different hypothetical deer hunting scenarios to see what they would do and why they would do it, how they'd handle these challenging deer hunting situations and the thought process that would lead them to a good decision. And today's guests are folks who hopefully you are familiar with. We've got Tyler Jones and KC Smith. They're the hosts of the Element YouTube channel, the Buck Truck series over on our Mediator YouTube channel, and as of last year, hosts of our Rut Fresh Radio mini-series. So hopefully you're listening to that. Each hunting season, we get weekly updates from the field, and Casey and Tyler are helping us do that here this coming season again. Going to be getting updates and reports from deer hunters all over the country. So that's what you have to look forward to starting in September. But today, they have a good time with me as we talk through some interesting hunting uh, you know, situations. That's the game plan. Talking to Casey and Tyler, talking deer, getting everything from public land advice to, 
you know, things related to every phase of the season. We talk the rut. We talk early season. We talk how to deal with adversity. We even talk about using bait, which is a thing they've done here and there, uh, as well as chasing big deer on totally DIY public land spots and brand new territories. So I think there's going to be a little bit something here for everyone. I thoroughly enjoy this one. They are uh, they're fun crew and very, very good deer hunters. If you've not seen their hunts over on YouTube, whether it be on the Meat Eater channel or their channel, uh, you should because they get it done in a wide array of situations and they've got a lot to share that we can all learn from. So without any further ado, let's get into our latest episode from our What Would You Do series with Tyler Jones and Casey Smith of The Element. The gauntlet's going to begin in Michigan. Okay, my home state of Michigan. Because you guys came up a while back and you did your whole scouting series, right? You guys did some e-scouting. You checked some stuff out. So I want to imagine, I want us to imagine, if you guys were to take that a step further. So let's say you had to come back up here to my home state and you were going to hunt. And we'll say it's going to be an October hunt. What I'm curious is if we stuck you back in that same area you checked out, which without giving out too much details, I think it was somewhere in the southern half of the state, kind of agriculture, country, mixed habitat. If you were going to show up at that piece of public land or something similar in Michigan, you've got one week to hunt in October. You're on your buck truck season two or whatever you know you're gonna, your season's going to be. How would you go about scouting and learning that property leading into the hunt? And what would the first day of that hunt look like given all that do we get to choose any uh seven week stretch in october is that what you're giving us the option to do seven day or, yeah, seven, seven day. day yeah no i'm giving you i'm well in my head i was thinking the first week of october but i'll let you pick your week i'll let you pick if you want if you don't want the first week uh are you going or i, I would pick okay. i would pick the first week i think so that helps um, I'll go ahead and, and kind of play that through. I am a lot different than a lot of people in that I like mornings in October because I'm not hunting field edges. Like I love to hunt bed to feed, where in that case it's feed to bed in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you have good access. If, if you're like, say you're hunting a public piece that's pretty good size and it's got varied habitat, and you maybe can go do some scouting the evening before and see, you know, deer hitting an ag field, where, whether it's, um, you know, alfalfa or standing corn or whatever it may be. You know, maybe, maybe it's a bird feeder, you know, in some of these places, <laughs> whatever. Um, I like the concept of going in early in the morning and getting way back into something and coming from the different direction than where the deer are. And uh, that's pretty consistent early in the year. So, that first week of October works really good for that. And, you know, I guess to go a little deeper into that, I think you'd probably want to pair that with some natural browse stuff. Um, when's the first frost date in Southern Michigan? Mm, it, you know, somewhere in that first couple weeks of October, I would guess most years. Okay. So that's going to probably make a difference on what the, what you're doing. If you don't have a frost date, yet in early october 
then there's a lot more of that forb stuff that's still available in the deer. But say you do get an early frost, um, I'm sure, well, I'll pronounce it correctly for Michiganders, but acorns will be uh, potentially a thing at that point mm-hmm. in the year, right? Uh, so, and it might be like some early drop in reds or something like that. If you pair that with close proximity to some thicket bedding, um, maybe across a marsh or something like that from an agriculture food source, I'd feel pretty good about early October. You know, that and also Michigan has like a uh, September 29 opener or is it always October 1 or or what is it? Always October 1. So again, I think that that uh, lends itself to some really good hunting, maybe on like October 4th uh, deep in there where like on the opener, you could opener, uh, you you can have, um, you know, a lot of pressure around the the half mile radius near the roads and if you go back in there and just anticipate those deer getting bumped into the deeper stuff and be there waiting on them uh it's a it's a pretty good process i think what kind of scouting are you talking about e-scouting or like the on foot stuff well i'm curious about both so so i was gonna ask kc if if that means he would not do any e-scouting would not do anything but the glass the night before or are you gonna do any of those other things leading into those first hunts? Uh, you you probably know my answer because you know me, but I'm going to he's got a ton on this stuff. In fact, way more. I don't like to stomp stuff up. If it's if it's within a couple weeks of, of when I'm going to hunt, I just stay out of there. I don't want to be in there messing around. And I know that deer will recover from that stuff. And, you know, if you bump a buck once, whatever. But at the same time, you never know when that buck is just a little bit weird about that stuff or, I mean, it's almost like a chaos theory type deal. You know, it's like, what if you just do the wrong one thing? Like you don't know that that's a looking branch, but you touch it and they freak out, you know, like, so just, you know, if you, if you're, say you show up a couple of days early, uh, I wouldn't even show up a couple of days early. Probably I would just show up a day early and have some very good e-scout preparation and in this sense, I would be looking for proximity to roads. I'd be using like that Onyx layer that shows you crop rotation stuff. And the big thing in Michigan, it seems, is you can see deer trails uh, from the aerial pretty often crossing those swamps. In fact, that's one of the things we used on that scouting series was deer trails to, uh, you know, bedding islands. And um, yeah. it, it seemed to be pretty productive. And I, I would, so yeah, a super heavy e-scout, uh, probably a lot of truck scouting, driving around. I mean, if you can see a deer, that makes me feel way more confident. I mean, um, even if it's a small buck at that point in the year, you know, like there's still a chance that um, he's in pretty close proximity to his buddy he was hanging out with this summer. And, I mean, shoot, man, in Michigan, they're all shooters, right? So, uh, <laughs> you see a small buck, yep. you might be in danger. That's true. <laughs> According to your boys, they, they say, I shoot small ones, and they're right. <laughs> <laughs> what? What would you uh, What would you do, Tyler? Would you take the same approach? Yeah, pretty similar. We, you know, he and I spend a lot of time uh, together, and we are on a podcast every week on our podcast, and so we talk about this stuff a lot. So we tend to we tend to agree with a lot uh, and have a lot of similarities in this. Um, I'd probably add, like, I'm looking at that pen right now where that camera was, and. Um, I would, I would definitely try to hypothesize the bedding a little bit um, because I think, if I remember correctly, one of the bigger bucks was a night photo. And so I definitely, um, 
like those are useful to me if they're if they're close if they're close to the you know close to daylight or close to shooting time so those are those are fairly useful even if they're within a couple of hours sometimes i feel like um you can assume bedding sometimes based off of that especially in more open country which this isn't um but i think another thing i would key in on that time of year i would imagine most of the corn is still in is that correct up there and around the first week of october For sure yep so I would try to stay away from corn. I think there's, it looks like there's a lot of alfalfa in the area and I would, I would hunt that just because, uh, corn that's in just makes things so difficult, man. Like you just, cause your whole bed to feed pattern gets thrown off in a, in a situation like that. So I don't like that because, uh, really, I mean, you can hunt the edge of the corn and, and kind of play both sides of the coin there, but, uh, you're just, you don't know where to blow your wind and all that. So I probably would just stay away from corn that time of year, try to be in either beans or alfalfa. So this brings up a larger question that I've kind of wrestled with over the years when it comes to my approach to new places that I'm just showing up and hunting. Um, I've historically always taken a similar approach to you guys in which I would East got a bunch and then show up and be conservative, you know, not want to tromp all over the place and kind of work my way in based on what I'm seeing. Um, but I've had a few times where I have, you know, missed the boat in a situation where I didn't find the key place until like the very end and where I'm thinking, man, if I just taken half a day or the first day and like burned through a bunch more stuff and actually saw this stuff, I could have figured it out much more quickly and probably still could have got away with it. So I've sometimes debated this in my own mind. Is there any situation, any time of the year? in which you would do something like that, like take day one or half a day and actually like pound the ground? Or is it always going to be what you just described for a showing up to a relatively new place and, and learning as you go? My, um, e-scouting would determine that more. Um, we, it's so hot in Texas. We just e-scout all summer, everything that we're kind of looking forward to going and seeing, you know? And so I'll have, I usually, I have kind of some, some methods that I use. I'm not super detailed, but I do have like some organization on, on X that I use that helps me to determine kind of. So what I'll kind of do is just like shotgun everything in the area that I think is, is pretty good. And I usually am probably a little bit more particular and dial dialed in on that stuff than KC is, but his method pays off a lot on plan B, C, D and all that, you know, it's, it's uh, it helps us out, but, I'll like, I won't have probably as many pins as him, but I'll put a bunch out there and then I'll go through and continue to look at those throughout the summer some and end up like, I'll kind of blue ribbon a lot of my like really spots that I think are just awesome. And those are spots that like, I'll probably end up hunting those, those areas. Um, and I'll probably end up observing a lot of times first in those areas um man i like to be able to hunt even if i am observing so like it's not just purely an observation sit sometimes i just sit where my wind is pretty foolproof or something like that you know or my access is really good and then kind of see and then also just be ready but um i i think that would determine kind of how i approach that is like if i go to an area and i've got one good spot or two good spots say that i really like like i can tell from the aerial that that is going to be a spot that I will more than likely be able to encounter a buck, then say the wind is bad for it, um, for both those spots. Then that's when I'll go and I may stomp something up or really get a little more aggressive and, and try to get my glass on deer that are running out of some, the bottom or something like that. 
and then I'll go back over to those spots when the wind is right. I, I in fact, in South Dakota, uh, 2020, we, it's, it took six days before we had a wind that we could hunt, uh, deer that were moving on a bed to feed pattern in one spot. And when we finally got the wind we needed on that sixth day, we went in there the first time and we both shot bucks that, that evening on that same spot, probably a couple hundred yards from each other. Yeah. You bring up a good point about if, uh, if I am going to stomp something up, I don't know if it's the time of year as much as it is. Uh, it's a low risk, high reward type place. So like I usually categorize my stuff like A through F as far as like places to bounce and go and thoughts. And like uh, if my really, you know, top three places don't work for some reason, one of those bottom places I'll go stomp up um, because I'm like, I probably won't make it here on the week anyways. But what if I go in here and just find the thing that's like, oh, this I was this was severely overlooked. I mean, I'm I, you know, yeah. I, I missed the boat big time on this. So that's probably one situation where I might stomp something was like, I probably won't make it there, you know. So let's go in there and do a quick run and maybe there's something to learn from there. But I would other, say that the rut though is the time that we're pretty aggressive on yeah. that stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, just you know, it's more forgiving the spot is because yeah. The deer may be three miles from there the next day. You're almost not stomping it up, though. You're almost just, like, blasting there and hunting. Yeah. You know, the oh, yeah. Too, I mean, thing, weird things can happen. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, another time that I might do the stomp it up thing is if I'm in an area, let's say, so we're still going with the southern Michigan scenario. Um, sure. Let's say, um, and I don't know the state well, but maybe there's a big chunk of state forest or something um, that doesn't have much agriculture around. Uh and it's the right time of year for those deer to be hitting some falling mass. Uh, that would be the time when it's like, I'm going to go in there and just stomp until I find the thing and, and hunt it. But all that said, I never have done that with success. So, but it's still just because I haven't had success doing something doesn't mean I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try it again, you know, sure. uh, because I think it could work. So you guys brought up something that I, I want to get a little more clarity on. Um, Again, it's another one of those things I always find myself debating on these traveling hunts. You go into a lot of these hunts with a bunch of different options, right? Plan A, B, C, and maybe, let's say maybe like A, B, and C you feel pretty good about, and you've got like a lot of sound reasons why you think that'll work, why you like it a lot. And then you get to your D, E, F, Gs or whatever, and now you're kind of, you know, these are, I don't know, you can give it a shot if you have to maybe. Um, How much time do you invest let's say you have a seven-day hunt we'll just take for an average how much time will you give to your spots you really really like your abcs whatever that is before you pull the plug and are like man we really gotta try some crazy stuff because this just isn't working um i know some guy i talked to someone recently who likes to give like a three-day rule to his best spots like he'll give him three good sits you know to give him a chance to work out the random days where they're just not there um I've, I've seen you guys, you know, sometimes stick it out in one area, but sometimes, you know, bounce around quite a bit. What's, what's your general take about how long you'll focus on a spot because of your confidence before you have to really start pivoting to, to wildly different things? Like if you had three days in your plan A or B and it's just like not happening or maybe four days and you're down to the last three, are you really going crazy and finding brand new spots or do you just trust? Uh, so you want me to go? I thought, I thought you gave me a little finger down here to say that you had 
you you had a, a thing. No, I was pointing at you. Oh, but I'll sorry. Go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, I can do it too. What? Tell them what happened about Cameron yeah. breaking the fourth wall. Oh, what's what's the finger thing? What's the finger <laughs> thing going on? <laughs> I pointed at him. I was like, I, I, I thought I thought it was like you're raising your hand, but you raised your finger. It's down weird here. how observant <laughs> he is, but he doesn't like put pieces together. You know? Okay, so <laughs> I, um, Mark, to answer your question, in most situations, and if I do not see a deer, uh, I'm bouncing after the first hit. That's just, it's just, it. unless it's a rut hunt where it's like the raging rut and you're in an area that deer cruise and you're liable to pick up new deer from a neighbor or something. Um, so let's go back to the scenario here with the first week of October in Michigan. These, these deer are probably on a pretty good pattern. Uh, and uh, the only thing that's changing that is hunter pressure. So if I go to a place and I don't see deer or good sign, man, the clock's ticking in my head. Like I have a real hard time. I mean, this, we, I was, I've talked about this with Greg the other day and probably you too, but like, I can't think of a single time this past season I hung in the same tree twice. Now I might've been in the same area, but I made some type of adjustment, you know, 60 yards over here or whatever, but I don't think I ever hung in the same tree, tree twice. So it's, it depends on what you call spot, right? Now, if you call in like an 80 a spot, I could probably find a way to give that three days, but I still wouldn't hang in the same tree. Yeah. I'm pretty similar. I mean, I got to see like most of the time I got to see if you're out of state on an out of state trip, like time is just of the essence. And we're just, I mean, we spend a lot of times, truck scouting a lot of a lot of our time early in a trip is truck scouting so uh just trying to learn like what crops are around and what you know if there's deer moving to them if we can find trails uh even we'll drive you know like if we don't have a great play we'll drive during golden hour you know just trying to see what deer are moving around the area early on and and learning that way and I, i'm the same way like uh, in south dakota on that buck truck episode um that that spot that I ended up shooting that deer in, um, basically we showed up a day before the season, right. And then, and we scouted and everything that we had learned the year before in that place was pretty much just dead. And so, I mean, I, I basically <clears throat> relocated pretty far away and found bucks. This was one of my, this is one of my spots that I thought was really good that I had scouted on on X and went and found that spot and found deer bedding in there. So you found deer in there, and I think if I remember right, you glass bucks the evening prior. Then you went back the next morning, glass some more in the morning, and then made a play to hunt them that following evening. So two nights of glassing, and then set up to kill the the following evening, right? Yeah. So I was really um, I was really torn between uh, a, they were moving kind of north and south, and I had two spots I could kind of hunt them on that were would be more lateral east and west. Um, thinking about it on this property and I basically um couldn't really pick which one so I decided to hunt from the ground be mobile and just glass and see what came by me and ended up kind of glassing from distance but I thought they would actually come up my way and um so anyway I just I had a, a different win the next morning but I wanted to get a better look at the area um, I was hoping to find water and I didn't actually wasn't able to to see but I the buck I thought the buck that I saw the night before I thought was going to water and so um, I, I tried to get up high and see from a different angle that next morning I couldn't see the water, but I found a buck bedded and I just, I mean, I just had a really good feeling he was going to come by the tree on the East. So 
I got in that one and he was like 10 yards. I mean, he's super close. So now how did you know there was water where you ended up going in the evening? Did you know that from the previous year or did you just scout your way in and found that and you're like, Oh, here's the water I was hoping would be here. There was a, there was a, a draw on the bottom and, um, I could, I was using topo lines on, on X to kind of see, well, it's lower right in there. And, uh, this buck was heading kind of opposite of, of where I thought he would destinate as for food. And, um, and so I was like, the only reason I think he would do that is because there would be water there. And he kind of dropped down into the Creek. And, uh, that was, I also had seen a spike go kind of from a different direction in that same area and then come out. And I didn't know if he was, you know, what he was doing. So I just, it was a big assumption, you know, but it ended up the tree I sat in was when we got there, the hole was there. And it was like, it was like maybe 10 yards long by five yards wide, just a water hole in the bottom of the Creek that had, it was just a deep spot, you know, hole in the Creek. And it was the only place holding water right there. Primo. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, it played out just right. I was, I was uh, pretty excited for that hunt. Yeah, that uh, that was one of those hunts that really made you look smart. Um, <laughs> until, that didn't have an offense, until you but, weren't, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, there's, uh, we don't have to talk about the end of the story. Yeah, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, I remember when that all worked out and that buck came. I was like, man, that's like the best feeling in the world for Tyler. But when you, you know, glass him a couple times and then like really think through like how do you make this move how do you make that play and then for it to work out like perfect like that that's a it's a good feeling yeah it is man and a lot of times that comes through that like the map works still while you're sitting there you know you really i spent like two hours dialing all the spots making sure i had the trees right and where i thought that that bucket bedded and everything so i think that's important too you don't just want to be like oh there's a buck bedded i'm going to go over there and kill him you know so you just make sure that it's done right because the wind was kind of shady too. So you just, yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Like that's when it gets fun, man. Yeah, I agree. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself. And you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Mark? Uh, yeah, what do you got? So I know this is uh, where you interview us, and I appreciate that. But since Michigan <laughs> is your home state and you have done all this, I would like to know, uh, can you just kind of give the third-person perspective on what we said? Well, I mean, the thing that's unique for me from what your situation would be is like you would be hunting on a short term time period in a brand new place. Um, You know, in my case, being local, I would just approach it very differently. But I guess like if I were to be in your shoes and if I were traveling up here and if I were going to try to scout and figure out something new in southern Michigan, um, I would do something pretty similar to what you said. I would have a lot of e-scouting done, um, and then I would show up, and that night before, for sure, I'd be doing truck scouting. I'd be driving around trying to confirm what's the food. Is it what I thought it was going to be? Where's the food? Can I see any place that there are some deer you know, coming out and feeding in daylight, something like that? Um, the next morning, I probably wouldn't hunt the first morning. I think you know, unless, unless I just saw like a slam dunk, where I saw like a buck the night before and I felt like very confident for some reason with where he was bedded, I probably would truck scout again in the morning, um, both to see if I could catch anything going back in. And then more importantly, though, see where the hunters were. I'd really want to see what parking lots have got guys and what parking lots don't. Um, because I think, you know, finding those pockets where there's not hunting pressure yet will really make a big difference, especially in Michigan on opening day when there's like literally half a million or more hunters going out. Um, maybe not quite that, but right in that ballpark. Um, and then 
you know, midday I would, or late morning even, I would probably do my like slow scout my way into a location to hunt for that evening. Um, and the only thing I would add to what you said would just be, especially with the public land in most places in Michigan that I have seen scouted or hunted, water is like the secret weapon to getting away from people more often than not. Like anything that's super swampy, nasty, or big bunch of creeks and rivers and things like that, that's, you know, one of the only ways to get a, get away from folks sometimes here. Um, and so I'd really be keying in on, and you mentioned that a little bit, the swampy spots where you can see like trails running through the swamps and cattails and stuff. Um, I'd be looking for that, but just really keying in on like, what's the wettest, gnarliest stuff that I wouldn't want to go to. And if that could coincide or be near to where I also saw some deer feeding in a, you know, a pocket of green beans still or something like that, that would be, you know, something that'd make me feel really good about it. Um, so that would would be my high level. The first week of November, I mean, October. If I were going to pick a week in October for a traveling hunt, I don't think I'd pick the first week in October into Michigan. I would take the last week in October. That's, yeah, that's um, a good but, but the first would be like my second choice. So I'd be, you know, I would, I really like, I really like the first like two to three days of October here in the state. Um, but that's for like my local properties I know well. But I know like the places I know well, there's going to be a day or two window where you almost, almost every single year, and I've hunted different places, but almost every single year for the last like 12 years at least, when hunting my opening day, you know, hunt in Michigan, the first day or two, you'll have an encounter with a target buck the first day or two. But then it, you know, things change really fast after that. So speaking of opening day, very good segue. And thank you, Casey, for leading me into this wonderful segue because I want to send you guys home. We're going to talk a lot about traveling, but I want to send you guys back home to Texas for an opening day question. And I don't know if you guys hunt opening day a lot in Texas or if you're traveling during that time period, but let's just say... This year, you're going to hunt opening day in Texas. So the archery opener, hunting at home. And same thing, I would imagine that leading into opening day, you don't have as much pressure. So I'm guessing maybe Texas Bucks would act like Michigan Bucks and be relatively active still that first day or two. But correct me if I'm wrong. Um, But let's imagine opening day in Texas is coming. Poor conditions, though. So you've got like hotter than usual. So I know it's already going to be hot, but let's say, and maybe you guys need to tell me what that has to be. Maybe there's not too hot, but in my mind. That's, uh, I mean, if I was going to guess the high on opening day is going to be between 93 and 98. Oh my God. So, yeah. I mean, well, you, you, you did bring it up. We do travel for opening. We don't, I haven't made an opener in five years and it, it kind of hurts my feelings, but just because if you go a couple States North, it actually feels like, you're deer hunting, you know? Yeah. So, but uh, we can definitely play along with your scenario for sure. Keep going. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. so, so humor me on this one. Let's imagine it's opening day in Texas and you have conditions that are so bad that you worry that the deer activity might be less than usual. So tell me what that would have to be. And then secondly, do you make a big swing on the opening evening or opening day in Texas if you're hunting locally like I would do in Michigan? Like I I, I, I go for a kill on the first night because like that's usually a special day, special day or two. So if you were local in Texas during that time period, would you go for a big swing and go for a kill on the opener despite these conditions that are too hot? Um, or if not, how would you approach that first day or two 
with those super hot conditions and what kind of setup would you go for for that kind of hunt and tyler i'm gonna figure you and you gotta go what uh is this like a public land deal or what where are don't, we hunting? Don't, don't ask me where are we hunting man you're hunting local at home so you tell me you could hunt your private stuff that you have access to down there or you could hunt public okay wherever yeah. you would want to hunt i would i would be on private uh it really i'd probably be on private if i had the choice anywhere you know uh but um the man like i almost cannot come up with a scenario on october 1 or around that day whenever we open that i would hunt it on and feel good about i mean it's just like i don't i can't even water's not reliable um you know we don't have ag we've got coastal bermuda pastures for 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 cattle um so to me uh and kc may have a different idea here but as i'm thinking through this like my um uh property that um i hunt in particular that's private in in our area um i would probably hope that we have a different wind than the predominant wind we usually have which is a southeast hmm. um and I, so i would probably hope for for a different wind than that but if i get that southeast wind which is what i'm going to get if it's like 98 degrees um a little bit hotter than normal um and i'm going to hunt in the in the northeast corner of this property on uh, next to the woods but on the edge by the field because what's going to happen those deer um they're as the sun goes down they're going to come out and their mosquitoes are going to be kind of bad probably and they're going to try to find open areas that um they can get some reprieve i guess and a little bit of breeze maybe and uh, they're going to walk those edges and just kind of browse around and find what they can find in the back of those pastures or fields or whatever. Um, even though there's, it's not really an ag source, it's just they're a creature of edge and um, they're going to, so I'm going to try to get them coming down. Um, basically, I'm hunting the northeast corner with a southeast wind and I'm hoping that they come out onto this edge and work uh, east towards me um, and my wind just kind of misses them, but they feel good about going into a quarter two wind like that kind of. That's my best, uh, my best answer there. What's that field that they're going out to? Well, normally the, like I said, most everything is coastal Bermuda. Um, uh, so it's oh. just, Hey, you know, That's it's right. like, a, I mean, the deer don't even, I don't think they even eat the Bermuda in it. They eat other forbs they can find that kind of grow within it. But for, for this particular field, I'll have, um, I'll have a lot of, I mean, I don't know what they're exactly browsing, but it's basically just wild. Uh, it's grown up. It's not, um, it used to be cattle pasture and now it's partridge pea and uh, there's some goldenrod, which they don't really eat in Texas. Um, we'll have some pokeweed and stuff like that that they'll nibble on. I mean, um, there'll be blackberries, uh, not the berries, but the bush, you they know, stuff a lot. Um, they'll eat a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of depends on what they find out there. There's a bunch of different things growing out in that field, though. Casey? Um, so I'm going to hunt private as well and I'm going to hunt my property. Um, because Tyler doesn't let me hunt his, but no, I, <laughs> I had never asked, uh, he would, if I asked him and I don't, uh, so my property actually sits up for South winds, which is kind of, our, our property is a little bit inverted in the way that they set up. So, um, for one, I would be running bait all summer, which I'm doing right now. I've got corn on my property. Uh, and so I've got a lot of, uh, bucks and does coming in and, and hitting that bait it's going to be pretty tough to hunt 
right over the bait. Um, it's kind of more of a thing to keep deer on the property. So I would probably make sure that that is located pretty central property and I could hunt deer going to it. Um, and I would probably still choose a morning because um, it stays hot late in Texas that time of year. But in the mornings, you have a chance to have a morning in the 60s, you know, like a 69 or something like that. Um, you know, more than likely, it's like a low of 75 or something. Um, but that's still way cooler. So you're, you're going to have a lot of deer movement for an opening morning from sunrise till nine-ish o'clock. And then it's going to shut down for the day until probably the last 10 minutes of shooting light, which um, for me, just it's real hard to go sweating in a tree stand in the afternoon for four hours waiting on that last 10 minutes. Oh, I'm not sitting there for four hours. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and along with that, I'm going to have a pre-hung set because I'm going to sweat my tail off yeah. if I go in there and try to hang something. And if it's on private, why wouldn't you? Especially if it's your own place, yeah. you can go out there. I mean, even you can take the kids. And that's another great thing about private on your own property. The deer are a lot less sensitive to activity. So, you know, earlier we were talking about the stomp around thing. I could go back there right now with a 50 pound bag of, bag of corn and put it out and there'll be a deer on there in 20 minutes. Like they hear me do it, you know, like, so they're just a little bit more, uh, you know, comfortable with human intrusion. Now I wouldn't go back there and play music. But or there's anything. a bunch of people around. Your yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there's people around and stuff and you can use that to your advantage a little bit. Also, one of the things with hunting, hunting in a morning, if you're hunting in a, we live rural, right? But it's uh, it's not a neighborhood, but there's houses around here and there. Uh, people get up and get stern later in the mornings than they uh, usually go out in the evening and mow their grass and make a lot of noise, you know? So like, uh, you also have that aspect too, of it being more peaceful and uh, the deer not just being too disturbed. So that's kind of my take on the opener. I also um, have a, I don't know, it's a real low chance of shooting a buck, I think in general. So it's a, probably an opportunity to shoot a doe. Uh, and I might be thinking about, cause you didn't restrict us to hunting big target bucks, you know, in the conversation, I yeah. might be thinking about getting that first deer of the year and, and just, you know, having fun and, and shooting something. It'd probably be the first, my primary concern out there. So you bring up my next question though. Um, when you mentioned your whole plan, Casey, cause I, you know, being the Texas guys, you guys are stuck having to answer these kinds of questions. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. but if I told you that this year you had to kill a mature buck over bait. Okay. How would you do it? When would you do it? Where would you do it? When you say over so, bait, you don't mean he has to be eating it like in his mouth, right? But just like a deer going to bait, going to bait or yeah. like orienting to that. Yes. Yes. So I'll, I'll give you some flexibility. You said how, when, and where, right? Yeah. So, so I want to understand like, yeah, give me basically as full of a picture as you could. If you have, if like that was the only stipulation that like you, you can kill, you got to kill a mature buck and bait has to be like a central part of it. I want to know all the details of what you would need to make that work. Um, are you, are you restricting us to our properties or what do you, you can, you can go, you can tell me anywhere. You could use this. Okay. Okay. You so you pick, can get a little budget to work with. Here. Yeah. Okay. Oh, anywhere in the, I thought you meant Texas. So anywhere that allows baiting. Yeah. So, so if you'd, if you'd rather do it in Kentucky or Ohio or somewhere else, but basically what I'm trying to get at here is like, you know, for people that do use bait, how can they use it better? Like that's what the lesson I'm trying to take from this. And gotcha. I want you guys to paint me a picture that will teach someone, you know, a better way to do it. Man, I tell you, um, it's, 
I'm not, I'm not going to actually say a state because uh, it's a little bit hard to, you know, put too much of a spotlight on some places. Uh, but let's just say like a Midwestern bait state. I think okay. that on November 6th, on an evening, if you set up 60 or 70 yards downwind of that bait, there is a really good shot that, that, that a mature buck knows that does are going to go to that bait. And mm-hmm. so like you, now this has bitten me in the butt before, uh, but... Uh, Mark, do we still have you? I lost your yeah. video. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you're good. Uh, this has bit me in the butt before where I set up like 50 yards from a bait pile and I had a giant <laughs> come in and just eat, you know, and I couldn't take the shot. It was too windy and too far. Um, but uh, I, I think that that's kind of the obscurity and not the norm. I think that there's a real good chance that you have does come in to eat the bait and big bucks will be scent checking those does. And if you can concentrate them with bait, that's the way to do it. I would probably say that my key number one tip uh, for getting a mature buck killed over bait is it's very, I'm very similar in my way of doing it probably to KC, but, uh, and he would do this too, but just maybe failed to mention uh, hand feeding is like mm. the way to do it. I mean, it's uh, it's hard to do it. It's a hand feed enough that you don't let it go dry, you know. But you, if you can get out to a spot every other day and throw a couple bags of corn out or whatever it takes, I mean, you bail alfalfa, however you want to do it, hand feeding and not having a big feeder that's making a bunch of noise and a big, you know, feeder pen in cattle country that just it looks like a somebody set up a town, you know, in the middle of the deer woods. So not having that is pretty. I think that's a pretty big key too uh debating situation so so are you saying that it's the the physical like feeder that would freak out mature bucks or is it the fact that you going in there associates your presence with food and then they're not as wigged out when you go into hunt because they're used to someone coming in every other day i think it's more about the noise that a feeder would make and Mm -hmm. some somewhat the visual aspect i don't think it's uh it's necessarily an association uh, it's an association with humans, but not necessarily because they hear or see you. It's just an odd looking thing on the landscape, you know. I also think that if I can add to that, the uh, free choice aspect of hand feeding is way better than the timed feeder uh, situation. And now you will feed a lot more. So if you're traveling, you have a, a deer lease or something that you're feeding on, you're going to have to do the, the timer thing usually. But say if you're if you're feeding locally, man. My deer just, I will have so many more deer on my property if I do what Todd's talking about, put corn out on the ground uh, in large quantities. But they still, it's not like they're there all day. They're still there around deer times, you know, like, yeah. you know, the, you know, the hour window there after daylight. But um, they're, they're just more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's your vocabulary word. Uh, they, uh they're just more comfortable just knowing that the food source is there as opposed to the something about just, uh, I think that big bucks know that a feeder is unreliable in the sense that maybe something already got there and ate the food. So they may or may not go there that night. But if you have a bait station set up that they just know that there's been food there the last 10 days, they're, they're probably a little bit more apt to go there. And also uh, I could add, to that as well um if you want bait to be effective you need to hunt it on good winds and hunt it really particularly like uh because i mean 
it's just like any other thing that concentrates deer. Like yeah. the deer know that and they're going to go downwind of it. So if your wind is a little off or, or whatever it may be and you booger one, like he's not going to recover from that quickly. He can find something else to eat. Yep. Makes sense. Kind of like a food source of any kind, food pluck. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood 
in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. All right. I'm going to send you back out of state, back on the road, doing your traveling thing. We'll say you're somewhere in that Midwest-ish region. And um, you're several days into a hunt. Let's say, you know, three or four. And you've you've kind of been zeroing in on the stuff. Like you, you're figuring it out. You found your spots. Kind of like Tyler, you know, you, you found some bucks. You scout a couple nights. You realize like, oh, man, like I found my kill spot. You're heading in for a kill hunt. Like you feel good. You got like those little nervous jitters because you're just confident that like you're in it. You're getting close to your spot. They'll hike in and all of a sudden you see fresh boot tracks. Like someone, there are boot tracks here that were not here, you know, last time you walked in, whether that was this morning, the night before, whatever. Uh, someone's been in here. Does that change your strategy? Do you still go to your spot, even though there's boot prints like close to where you're planning on setting up? Or do you push through and, and do your thing regardless of what this person might have done or has not done? I'm glad he asked you. Mm-hmm. This is a very good question, Mark. You're a good question asker. Um, I'd say, I, I mean, this is this is very like situational dependent. Did you say um, nuance? Well, you could say that. Yeah, okay. But um, I would say, so some of the variables, some of the variables that you would kind of consider would be like. Uh, how many spots do you have? You know what I mean? If you don't have very many spots that you feel good about, um, then probably just going to go ahead and commit and see what you, what you see when you get in there, you know? I mean, cause this guy might've just done what, you know, you wanted to do and burn in there real quick and done a quick scouting session. It might not have messed anything up too bad. Um, and, and I think, so you got to kind of understand like what your backup plans are. You want to have some, but you don't always, because later in the trip, sometimes you've already gone through a lot of those and, and seen what actually panned out to be a pretty good spot. Um, you know, another thing is like, what does the area set up like? Um, are you hunting, you know, are you going in there to uh, cottonwood drainage in, you know, I don't know, Nebraska or North Dakota? And um, there's not really a whole lot of habitat in there. And this guy's headed right into the nearest you know bedding hole that you figure is in there um you know i guess that's that's kind of another question you kind of have to answer to to understand what your final answer is in this scenario um i think i probably tend to uh continue until i like figure out for sure like this dude is in here or you know went right into a spot that was a bad spot you know, another thing that you that helps you make that decision is I, we. I've gotten really, really. Um, I don't know. I, I I really consider ground scent pretty heavily now. In the last couple of years, I've just I, I've really um, worked on access a lot as being like a big part of uh, the hunt for me, and to to understand how the, what the best access is and how ground scent can really mess up a hunt over the last few years. I've seen that happen. And so I'm trying to really limit that. So if this guy, to me, if he's, uh, walking, you know, on or across a trail that is going to be leading to my tree, 
that's that's an issue. I'm probably bailing at that point. You know, if it's if it's a very fresh boot track. What's your Casey? Um, we're probably a little more different on this, I guess, but not drastically. I just am going to lean towards bouncing, uh, just because I think in most situations I have some other good opportunities that I could go to instead of uh, you know staying there and just uh, just get somebody's leftovers. You know, like there's a few places that I know that I hunt that are pretty forgiving in this stuff. Um, and that usually has to do with like it being the only food source in, for miles. And outside of that, I just don't like to go where other people are too much. Um, I mean, and it, it does pay dividends. It is more difficult because some places it's hard to find a spot where there's nobody, you know, you talk about like what you were saying there in Michigan where there's, you know, half million folks going to the woods you might not find a parcel that just doesn't have a dude on it. But if, if the options there, I'm probably going to try to figure something else out. Uh, just because I, uh, not to discredit the general hunting populace, right? I think I'm glad that people are getting out there, but I don't trust the guy that was in there before me to have made any good decisions. And I think that, that he might have, right? It, it might've been Degum Bill Winky in there, you know, but like, uh, <laughs> you just have to assume the worst because it's a great way to be hunting ghost bucks, you know, uh, ghosts, yeah, ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't, you, and man, you talk about wasting some time, you know, hunting a deer that's not there is really a bad way to do that. Yeah, man, you're right. Even if it is Bill Winky, he sleeps at the base of his tree these days. So, yeah. you know, you don't know what you're going to get. There might be a tent all set up down there too. So watch out for Winky's tracks. <laughs> That's right, man. <laughs> He's like the John Rambo of deer woods, you know. Like. Yes. <laughs> um. All right. So, I, I I'm I'm with you guys on that. I don't I don't particularly like uh, like seeing boots coming in, but uh, it is situational. Let's. Uh, I had another kind of pressure relay question, but in the interest of time, let's speed up and go into November. And I've got a specific November question for you guys. Let's let's again say. You're in the Midwest. I'm going to put you like in Illinois. You guys hunted there recently and had an interesting hunt. Let's say you're back in Illinois, but it's November and you discover a spot that's deep in the cover. That's like a no questions asked big buck hotspot. Um, there's a Creek running through some timber. You can see a pretty defined crossing of the Creek and there's bedding, but it's all around you. Like it's a dynamite pinch sort of because you've got this like very defined creek crossing, but there's also bedding all over the place. So it's not like a terrain or it's not a not a cover pinch. Um, you can tell like there's definitely bucks moving in here. It's the rut. They're going to be crossing here. They're checking these bedding areas. It screams out good from that standpoint. There's big buck sign all around. Problem is there just does not seem to be a way to hunt this spot without deer winding you because of all that cover around you and because there's bedding on both sides of the creek and kind of all around, and it's a relatively high deer density area. So what do you do in that situation? Do you hunt this despite that riskiness of the wind and just say, man, it's it's so good I got to hunt it and I'll deal with the consequences of, wind, of some does winding me or, or whatever? Or do you hunt off the hot spot in some kind of a way um, but you have a safer wind. What would you do, Tyler? You get to go uh, first every time. Man. No, just He's last your favorite. 
He's my I just know you. I know. I know you need more time, Casey. Oh, okay. <laughs> Me and my slow processing. Exactly. <laughs> oh, so how big is this bedding area? Uh, let's say we're talking like this is um five, six, seven acres, that kind of thing. Like it's a, it's you know, five acres ish. So that's like a, yeah. Let's go with that number for simplicity. The the pinch. What what's creating the pinch? It's like a creek crossing. So uh, when I say, when I say, I'm not, a pinch might have been the wrong word, but like there's a, a, there's a funneling effect because there's like a one very defined creek crossing. And let's say there's like high banks in most other places. So this is like, there's not like 20 of these creek crossings. This is like the creek crossing for quite a ways. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I learned this growing up fishing Lake Fork in Texas, which is a kind of renowned bass lake, but the big trees grow by the creek and, um, the, the way that I would hunt this, I would probably be pretty aggressive and try to get in there, especially considering this is the rut. I would try to find a way uh, to make an assumption about, I always try to assume where the deer are coming from. If, even if it's the rut, like which side do I think that these deer are coming from? Because they even in the rut, these, they're generally going to relate uh, bed to feed, at least the does. And then you can make assumptions about if bucks are really amped up and they're, you know, trying to encounter does going the opposite way or, you know, how all that works out. You, you just, like in any scenario, there's a bunch of variables. But um, I would say that that I would hang in one of those big trees right over the creek, potentially one that hangs out over the creek. Um, and I would let my thermal uh in November, a lot of times, especially if you get a high pressure day, which is going to be a good day to hunt in November, uh, right at dark, you're going to get a, just a falling thermal and the wind's going to die probably more than likely. And if that's the case, I would hang out over that creek and let my wind just fall into the creek and away from that crossing. Um, and I would, I would shoot the first big buck that comes through in the, in the, the, uh, gray hour. But, I would also say that I'm not afraid to sit uh, in a place during the rut where my wind is blowing in a pretty shady direction down the trail. Uh, because I think a lot of times if you can, if you can make a really good assumption about which way that you're traveling, a lot of times what you're going to get um, is a doe with a buck pretty hot on her trail. And you just have to make sure you can shoot that buck before the doe gets you. Or you can rely on this and it, and it works. Uh, the buck and the doe are so just in a, you know, frenzy that they don't even, they don't even wind you, you know, they, the doe will run through your wind sometimes. So it's, I mean, the rut is the best, man. I love hunting the rut. <laughs> it's hard to beat. <laughs> I like it. Casey, what about you? Um, so, uh, I like Tyler's answers. Um, I guess I'll just kind of have some additions to that really. Um, if it's really the rut, I think that calling can work and say you feel good about this place for a few days, um, sitting up a little bit off of that and uh, calling to deer that are coming through there uh, could be a, a way for you to um, at least give it a day, you know, go in there, try to grunt at a big buck who's, who's cruising through the Creek crossing, get him to come off of it. And if he won't, then the next day go in and burn the tar out of that thing and just hunt it hard. Uh, but that, that is one day. If you want to play a little bit more conservative, you could do that. That's a good idea. Um, I like that. 
also access would be a big thing for me. And uh, if you can walk the bottom of the creek to get in there, that's going to be awesome because uh, I think that blowing your wind one uh, through a bedding area is one thing, but just swiping the whole sap sucker because you can just, you know, have to walk in and you, your wind just goes whoosh through the whole thing as you're walking. That's really bad. And stomping through there is bad too, because it's probably thick. So you're going to make a lot of noise. So you have a lot of that going on as well. So if you can get down in the Creek to get, to get your access in, I would feel a lot better about that. Um, and then, uh, me being the guy who likes mornings, um, I might like to hunt this on a morning because just like Tyler was talking about, I love that thermal suck with the cold water, you know, and having everything fall down into, you know, the, the valley as it cools off in the evening. Uh, that also can work in the morning though, as everything heats up around you, the cold water is going to still kind of hold like a little pocket of air down there. And if you can tap into that, uh, you're in really good shape. And also a thing I've seen work, it's kind of crazy and I almost don't believe it, but I think it's a deal that not a lot of people talk about is that if you have a really frosty morning, uh, but say it's, uh, you know, as soon as the sun comes out, it gets above freezing. So say, you know, it got down to 31, but sun hits everything and it gets in the 40s real quick and it's sunny. Um, there is some level of a straight up thermal on dead still days that you get from evaporation. And I think that this is that scenario just screams that to me. If you can get like a November 4th where it's just dead calm in the morning and it's frosty, and you let that sun come up, like you can just have just this lift from the evaporating water vapor that just brings all your scent up and maybe out. Uh, or at least it's going to give you enough of a window, uh, you know, to get, to not have deer just, you know, 200 yards away smelling you because there's no, there's no wind to take it to them. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's an interesting idea there. And um, Mark, that means you don't think it works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I, I was just thinking through like there's all these little things that, that that creek gives you these advantages, I think, in a lot of ways, too, like the thermal effects and the access effects. And um, that really does help you get away with some things in these like heavy cover bedding area kind of zones that you otherwise might not be able to get away with. Um, I've had a few of these myself, and this is uh, these are all things I've seen. One more situational one, and I think we'll get to our rapid fire and wrap this sucker up for you. November, again, we'll say we're pushing a little bit later. Let's put you like November 10th, and you're out of state. It's day three, and on the first day when you set up, you or when you arrived, you were doing your truck scouting maybe, and you hung a few cameras in a few like easy to get to places. Like I've seen you, Tyler, like hop off out of the truck and put a camera on the side of the road. Um, let's say it's something kind of like that. Like you, you found some easy to access spots. You put up a couple cell cameras, let's say to begin. Now it's day three and you've kind of figured you're figuring some stuff out. You're finding locations that you think will be good. You're kind of finding some rut pinch point or bedding area kind of zones and you're, you're getting there. Um, but maybe you don't have like the spot within the spot within the spot, but you're heading somewhere you feel pretty confident with. It's the evening hunt. You're on your way to the evening hunt and then your phone pings and you get the cell camera upload from the day previous and you get daylight pictures of a shooter buck 
elsewhere, like somewhere that's not where you're headed. How do you factor this new piece of intel into your hunting strategy? Does it change what you're doing that night? Does it change what you're doing the next day at all? Or is one single daylight photo of a shooter buck not enough for you to do something with that? KC, you get to go first because you are equal with Tyler in my favorite rankings. <laughs> we, we, he so. didn't tell us where the place was. Yeah. We're just on the same plane. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Mark. Uh, um, um, let me think about this. So, first of all, I think it's funny that you said, uh, like, yesterday's cell phone stuff <laughs> uploads. Um, because... I guess 24 hours is the, the delineator of like what's ethical and what's not. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's just what I do. But some people do it immediately. But I'm just saying like, but we'll, we'll, we'll roll with that. Okay. Okay. Um, but you could tell me, you could tell me like if you have it on timely or instant and you get an instant yeah. picture, like right then yeah. what you would do. I'd be, I roll, I roll I'd be interested in that too. Uh, quite a bit or every three hours or so, but I don't actually let it determine my moves right away like hardly ever except for on hogs which we're not talking about right so we're talking about whitetail um one daylight picture that means that buck cruised through he didn't hang out he didn't check a scrape he didn't tend to doe there i would this is a little bit um location dependent but let's just say we're kind of like in the midwest and uh deer covering ground uh i would probably just use that as an indicator as to the time of day that I think bucks may be on their feet. And I probably wouldn't let it affect my decision to go hunt that particular buck at that place too much, except for, I'm going to kind of just pretty much rewrite what I just said. Um, I know he's in the area and that means a lot to me. So like, I'm not, I'm not going to go, and think that I'm going to go set up and hunt him that exact pattern for the next day. Uh, in fact, this happened for me in Oklahoma this past year. It wasn't, it was like three days, but three days before I had the picture of the deer I killed in Oklahoma at a picture of him at night, even I believe it was, or maybe it was real late or something. And, um, we're actually, were having a slow hunt and, uh, that gave me the confidence to just know that that deer does live in that area. He's there. Like he's, he's not super far away and went in there on a first time set and killed him on a morning whenever he was there. Like, I think it was like 1130 PM, you know, or something like that. So I, it's almost like the picture of the buck just lets me know that he's still alive and that he is in the area. And then I still just make the best hunting decision I can at that moment. So like, um, I guess your, your scenario was you're going into a place you feel good about, but then yeah. you see that there was a deer yesterday at another place. Uh, if I feel, felt good about my spot, there's a reason I'm there in the first place. Right. And I didn't choose the other place because I didn't feel as good about it. So yeah. it probably shouldn't let it rewrite what you're doing for that evening, just because something else happened yesterday at the other place. Um, that was a little convoluted. I didn't really have a lot of direction, but I did the whole, just talk my thoughts like you asked for. So no, that, that that that's I perfect in jest, or uh, the gist of it, um, is that I would continue on with the plan if I felt good about it. And that was the scenario. Like there's, 
if your A number one spot is your A number one spot and all the conditions are set up right for it, then go hunt that because it's the rut and it's going to be good. Trust it. Yeah, I like it. How about you, Tyler? Um, I would say November 10th is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite date. You killed a buck on November 10th. I killed, back. I killed uh, Nameless on November 10th. Yeah. Uh, I killed a big one. My biggest deer I killed on the 11th. Um, but I like the 10th a lot, which I don't, I don't hunt the upper, upper Midwest much, you know, so it's probably different and it's just a long way from home. So we don't ever make it up to, you know, weird places like Michigan too often, but, um, yeah. we, I, I love that. Terribly welcome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was there this summer, actually. Um, it's great. Great Mark state. Wasn't. You have a great state. Um, yeah, I know. Anyway. Didn't even, didn't even go fishing. <laughs> um, I, so I, um, like I said, I like the 10th a lot because I think it's one of the most just rage, rut rage days of the whole year, I feel like, in a lot of the places I hunt. And so with that in mind, seeing that picture is not really going to divert my plan. In fact, I, I'm with KC. It's almost like if I have a plan, I'm headed somewhere, I'm not divert, diverting from that for any sort of positive influence, really. It's, it would only be for a negative influence, like Bill Winky's track being in there, you know, or something. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I feel like that, that it's not going to divert me. Um, and the, I would just make a note that the reason uh, cell cams are, are, are great, but just trail cameras in general are a big part of what we do um, that just helps us to learn more about, like, like I, I can't tell you how many times that I'm able to, or either one of us, I mean, like the story he just mentioned, are able to kill a deer, uh, not necessarily where the trail camera was, but um, because we had photos of him at a certain time, especially like night photos. We'll get night photos a lot because we're running and setting a camera right next to the road and hiding it, you know, down low in the grass or something. And they're easy to check. So, um it's a, it's a time efficiency thing, but you know, you're going to get, get dark pictures, but then you, that's when you start making assumptions about bedding and, and also like, you know, uh, deer density assumptions for that property or that area as well. So, you know, the one buck is not really going to fire me up, even if it's a monster, a, a monster might, but like, yeah. he's not gonna, he's not gonna like a one thirty walking through there is probably not gonna really change a whole lot for me. But if, you know, a 105 and two 130s walk through there within like a four or five day window, I might start thinking about what's going on over there, you know? So it really is more that those trail cameras, uh, allow us to think about areas that maybe we weren't a hundred percent sure about. I mean, they're just the eyes when we're not there, you know, Mark, I want to yeah. change my answer. If a 190 is on there the day before <laughs> I, I'm going to the other place, I'm going to make it work. <laughs> uh, you know, like it's kind of a joke, but it is true. I mean, uh, there's hardly anyone who is solely motivated for meat when it comes to hunting, right? I mean, uh, there's a ton of motivations. It's the experience. Sure. It's the camaraderie. It's absolutely for me. I love big giant bucks with big antlers. I think they're the coolest animal on the planet or one of them, right? So Agreed. Like, uh, if, if there's a world-class deer on the other camera, I, I, I'm probably changing my plan. But otherwise, stick with the original okay. answer. So then that brings up, though, another follow-up kind of as Tyler was describing his thought process there. I do wonder, like, what would get you guys, other than it being a mega giant, what would get you to change that answer? So same exact scenario. But now if I told you that there were two 
different mature bucks that showed up in daylight that evening. Is that enough or would it take three? So if you saw three different mature bucks come through the same place in the same evening, would that be enough to be like, oh, there's something like, what would that be? Is there a number? Is there a threshold for both of you? Two is two is definitely something to kind of raise your eyebrow about. I mean, it's like two, you're starting to make some considerations, especially, man, if you if you do get the truck camera picture that is a scrape over a scrape and yeah. it's it's you know like if it's just uh if you just got this thing on a fence post in like a a low spot that goes uh you know by the road or whatever um i may not do that but if you're in a spot that like you could hang pretty close to that camera and potentially kill them uh you know over a scrape or something like that that just kind of gives you a few more signals as to what's going on um then that that makes a difference for sure and i, I think I think definitely I would start thinking about it if two did that in one night for sure. Yeah, I would want to know how uh, close they were time-wise too. I think that would make a difference. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if they were heading the same direction, Mm -hmm. if there was a doe on camera right before that. Because in my mind, the first scenario that pops up is like, oh, a hot doe went through. Because this actually happened uh, in Oklahoma. Um, There was like three bucks that were all shooters within like a 45-minute period on a camera we i don't even think we were in state at the time when that happened but uh it was like wow something happened that day that was wild Mm -hmm. and so i think that if you want to capitalize on like that concentration of bucks you absolutely have to go in there because they're not going to do that they they're they're aggressive right they're not territorial but like they're gonna work out that pecking order within the first couple days that all three bucks happen to be in the same core area so um it might be a time when you're like, okay, these guys are feeling frisky. Let's go in there and do some aggressive calling and kill one of them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That would definitely make it more interesting when you've got multiple bucks doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So rapid fire here. I'm going to ask you guys a series of questions and you can only answer with like the one word answer. I'm going to give you no explanation. And I want you to say the answers at the exact same time. So it'd be like playing, uh, it'll be like, you know, paper, scissors, rock kind of, but you'll both say the answer at the same time. Okay. Paper, scissors, rock. <laughs> Is that really you know, how it's worded? Uh, how do you say it? Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, you know, that sounds, that does sound better. That sounds right. I think I'm just, I think I'm just, I'm thrown off here. Hey, dude, I'm like thankful to know a guy that can like reorder the words on the phone and make it work. You know, like, <laughs> I'm a little different. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. So are you guys ready? Yep. I don't know. All right. And I I know the answers to some of these for you guys, but for the sake of the audience, give me your, your, your answer. Same time. One word. Here we go. Would you take a 50 yard shot at a whitetail with your bow? Yes or no? Yes. If you could only... (laughs) It's pretty funny hearing you guys synchronize like that. <laughs> uh, if you could only have one of these, one of these tools for the rest of your hunts, for the rest of your days, you have to pick rattling antlers or grunt tube. Which do you pick? Grunt antlers. Tube. Hmm. Expandable or fixed blade? <laughs> Expandable or fixed blade broadheads? Expandable. I'm having a hard time not just like envisioning you two goofballs in the truck looking at each other and laughing well, we as you do like this. We got like this thing with our heads. It's like a bob, you know, like when you get to a certain point, we say 
Uh, <laughs> should you stop a buck with some kind of sound before shooting with a bow? Yes or no? Oh, hold on a second. Wait, this is a yes or no question. <laughs> you gotta. Yes or no. It's not a yes or no question. Okay. But I got you I'm just going to give me. I'm going to pull the Steve on you and just, just, <laughs> you know, just make you <laughs> think the question's bad. Uh, yes. No. All right. Does the moon matter to deer movement? Yes or no? No. No. <laughs> if you could, if you could only hunt mornings or evenings for this entire coming season, so you got, you can only get one or the other. Would it take mornings or evenings? <laughs> mornings. <laughs> Can you even tell who's answering? <laughs> Kinda. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I'm an evening guy. Okay. All right. Now this is less of a rapid fire question. You guys can explain yourselves a little bit on this, but but keep it kind of short. I rule the world. I'm in control of your oh, hunting no. fate. Maybe you guys know this one. Um, I'm gonna take away your hunting rights and privileges for the rest of your life, unless you kill a mature buck this year. So you got to kill a mature buck this year. Well, are we talking about Michigan, Michigan mature? Because <laughs> <laughs> I believe you gotta, Mark said that was two and a half. So. You got you to gotta kill. I'm going to tell you a four and a half year old buck or older. Okay. All right. And here's the trick though, is you only get one day to do it. Oh. And you only have one stand site, like one location. So what I need you each to tell me is... Pick the date on the calendar you're going to select for this one hunt and then describe to me the setup you would choose for this very high stakes hunt. I have my. I'm going to throw and up. You get, and you got like a minute or so to give me your explanation. All right, you go. Okay. Um, all right. So I would, I would go, I had to shoot a mature buck. What's, he said four and a half, right? Four and a um, half, yeah. Man, if, I, if you were going to take my privileges, I need a guarantee. So I. I would go uh, probably somewhere south of Carrizo Springs, Texas, and <laughs> I would hunt. Uh, I would hunt some sort of corn, whether it's uh, uh, they have feeders that go on trucks and they'll feed an entire sendero like a thousand yards or whatever, and then they'll turn around. And there'll be some deer that come out, you know, depending on if they're used to that, which a lot of those ranches down there feed a lot, but either that or a feeder. Um, and I would shoot a, I'd probably shoot like maybe like a 270 or something like a, like a deer rifle. You know what I mean? I would shoot him with a rifle and, uh, I would shoot the most pot belly deer I could find near the corn. And that, that's how I do it. It's it's pretty good date. Oh, date, uh, December, uh, December. Holly, that's a tough one. Twentieth. Mm. Interesting. Today. I've never uh, gotten that answer before. That is a brand new one. So you, you guys, you text the guys, give a new perspective. I like <laughs> it. What about you, Casey? <laughs> I, I mean, that is about my answer. Is to hunt a, uh, you know, one of those tower blinds in South Texas that you get to look at five senderos, and I probably would shoot a seven mag because that's what I have. Um, but you, I would want a um, powerful deer rifle so that you know you're going to kill them. Good range, flat trajectory, uh, and I would pick December fourteenth because it's my birthday. That's the only. <laughs> that's the only other difference I think that I would have in there. But I mean, uh, you want to talk about mature deer per square mile? It's, yeah. There's probably not a better place in the country. 
and you're giving us budget to have private. So <laughs> we're going to take yeah. it. Yeah, you, you filled in the blanks there to help yourself out, which is fair. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, you, you made it to the gauntlet. I think you guys would have uh, would have kept your privileges, I believe, in your in your strategy. So Thanks, well man. done. You know, and, and uh, I'd say that, like, if it, was, if it was for hunting privileges, I mean, I'd spend, like, an entire year's salary on that thing. If I yeah, to, you know, yeah. So You do what you got to do. Definitely. It's, yeah, it's within the budget for that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. <laughs> uh, well, this was fun. I especially enjoy the rapid fire imagining what it looked like in the truck with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, the uh, phone overheated, so we had to turn the video off. Was- yeah, if only, if only we had the video for that part. Um, but real quick, Real quick, guys, uh, for folks listening at home, when can they see the final couple episodes of Buck Truck? Where can they see that? And is there anything in particular we've got to look forward to the rest of this fall as far as content coming out from the element and your team? Oh, the for sure, the episode with Mark Kenyon in Texas is is going to be uh, you know fan favorite for the Wired to Hunt yeah. uh, group and us too. It was a lot of fun. And so I'm excited. I don't remember those dates for okay. sure, but so I, I've got the dates now. As Mark knows, this could change, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> September 7th uh, is a buck truck episode with old Clay Newcomb and our episode with you, Mark, where we decided against putting chilies in your sweet tea. <laughs> Uh, Let's just put it in a shoe instead. That, one, that, one, that one's good. Oh, you, you know, we got we to tell that story before we get out of here. Uh, October 26th, it looks like. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, they, that's uh, going to, those two episodes will be on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Um, and then we will be uh, putting out Element stuff on the Element YouTube channel, just kind of as we go and, and fill in. I mean, I think. Uh, we're out hunting right now, so uh, you'll probably be seeing some videos from this season on the Element Channel in August, starting in August. So, um, yeah, Wonderful. that's. I mean, you can find us on Instagram and all the all the good places. Uh, Mark, I just want to say, man, it's. Uh, I know you get told this a lot, and it probably like doesn't really strike you, but like, uh, it is an honor to be on your podcast and to be interviewed and to be able to just kind of give uh, our insights, man, because. Uh, there's so many people that have listened to your podcast over the years, man. And, and uh, it is the premier whitetail hunting podcast, man. I appreciate what you do and appreciate your friendship a lot, man. Well, thank you for saying that right back at you guys. It's uh, if we're, if we're blowing smoke off talons, I'll, I'll keep it going and just say, uh, it's been really fun to see your guys' journey and evolution too. And I'm, I'm very, very glad that you chose to team up with us at uh, wired hunt and mediator. And uh, it's been great to have you part of the crew. And, uh, hey, speaking of which, just a tease coming up very, very soon after this episode airs will be the kickoff of another season of Rut Fresh Radio, which is our weekly deer activity report that you two started hosting for us last year and will continue this year. So, uh, yeah, that when this one airs, it'll only be like a week or two out from that kicking off. So uh, get ready for Rut Fresh coming soon. All right. Woo! Man, I am ready to be real fresh. Hey, when's the, uh, when does the one-week stuff come out, man? Can we talk about that? that? Yeah, that's supposed to kick off really soon, too. I think August 29th is what I heard about the first episode. So, Wait. as you mentioned, who knows? But last I heard, that's when it's supposed to kick off. So, we'll be getting into one week in November here shortly. All right. Yeah. All right, Mark. Rapid fire for you. <laughs> you got you got one question, and then I got to run to another meeting. All right. <laughs> Who has the better chance of making the college football playoff, Sparty or, or Michigan? Ah, man. 
I hate to say this because I love Michigan State and I hate University of Michigan, but uh, but Michigan State's football situation does not look good right now. We had our starting quarterback the last two years transferred out, our number one wide receiver transferred out, a lot of question marks across the line. So uh, I'm going to say University of Michigan has a much better chance. As much Sounds as I like hate it, to, dude. you need to help them out with some NIL deals, deals or something, <laughs> get some recruits in there, bro. Yeah, about man, we're, hunt, eh? That's it. There we go, dude. Nice. <laughs> well, nice. If yeah. you guys if you guys can help us make these podcasts go viral or something, maybe we'll finally get the payday we've been asking for and uh, we could do that. <laughs> hey, if they would just start hitting the record button before we actually tell us, then that's, no problem. That's you know? that's true. That would have done it today. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you again. Hey, thanks, yeah, Mark. thanks, Mark. All right, and that'll do it for us today. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. A couple quick updates for you. If you're not already signed up for our Wired to Hunt weekly newsletter, head on over to TheMeatEater.com and sign up there. You'll also see there's a Wired to Hunt section on the website there where we've got a whole bunch of new deer hunting articles every week that uh, this time of year are particularly important to get primed and ready for the hunting season coming up. They've got a lot of new ideas there for you. And then finally, make sure you're following Wired to Hunt on Instagram. That's where you're going to see some of my more personal stories, updates from my hunts, things along those lines so uh check it all out appreciate you good luck in these final days leading into hunting season and until next time stay wired to hunt outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.